Hi, I'm Frankie, and you're listening to Speak Love, We're Listening, a podcast created to illuminate the words of others who inspire me, where realistic conversations become inspiring words for others. Are you listening? Today I'm with Bria, and it's one of the emphasis of learned to learn and and have experienced many things with and i really hold her in high high standards um i've learned a lot from her and i wanted to bring her on the podcast today um just to go through what she has been learning as a woman a caribbean woman from jamaica and just going through life from jamaica to the united states and her passions and what she has started based on these. So, Mabria. <laughs> Hello. Hey, what's up? What's up? You good? I'm good. You ready? Yeah, you got this. So, uh, on my podcast, I like to have my guests start with three affirmations that they want to affirm into their life right now, this present moment or into the future. So, would you share your free affirmations with us, please? Sure. Um, hmm? It's for this podcast or for this session. I have my three affirmations, and um, I am one with my ancestors. Mm-hmm. My ancestors live through me. Okay. And I am the keeper of my mother's. Beautiful. So, Today on this episode, we will be talking about women or Caribbean women and migration. I'm going to be asking Bria eight questions. I mean, I hope we get through to all eight questions because they really are a lot. Um, But we're going to start nonetheless. And my first question for you, Bria, is who are you and what rooted your interest in specifically the studies of the Caribbean women? So, who am I? I um, guess I'll just start off by saying I am a Caribbean woman. And um, I guess Caribbean woman is me. Uh, <laughs> yes. I was born in Jamaica. Uh, pretty much raised in New York City. And I love my culture. I love my heritage. And I love my people. That's true. Uh, getting to the topic of Caribbean women. Uh, <laughs> growing up in New York, it's or it can be a challenge, right? And uh, going to the public, going through the public school system, sometimes we are forced to assimilate, uh, taking on the culture of others and forgetting who we are and accepting certain changes that we don't sometimes it feels as if like it's like a forced experience mm-hmm. and as i grew older and i became more acquainted with the study of marcus garvey i realized how much i strayed away from my roots and from who i am and what age did you move from Jamaica? when i was 10 years old 10 years old and you learned about marcus garvey in school or out of school? In school, so oh. uh, when I was in Jamaica, actually they have 
um, like houses and stuff, like for sports teams. And I was in Marcus Garvey house. So they named the house after the national heroes. Wow. And they had, I'll never forget, it was a green t-shirt. So that's one of the reasons why my favorite color is green. You <laughs> <laughs> see how we get indoctrinated in school. But, um, it was a good thing because when I came to America, you know, that it was always in my head. I'll never forget one day I went to the computer lab and they told us, you know, we have free time to get on the computers and I didn't know what to look up. I didn't know how to even get to the internet, okay. <laughs> you know, and uh, I Googled Marcus Garvey. So um, it was already, the seed was already planted, but as I said, yeah, I assimilated to the American culture and, uh, straight away from my culture straight away from my roots and when I like probably about I'll say 17 I went back to Jamaica uh yeah I went I, I took a trip when I was 16 my grandmother passed away and it took a toll on me it was my great-great-grandmother actually mm-hmm. and I started doing you know I was going on the wrong path and stuff and I as I said I started doing some more research on Marcus Garvey and then about Garveyism and you know met a few Garveyites and stuff and I started doing my research but my mom used to always say don't bring that stuff in my house don't bring that stuff in my house oh wow yeah so um in in the quest uh, yeah in the quest of finding myself and getting more into Garveyism I started to realize like some of my trauma which eventually became a part of my identity Mm -hmm. uh came from my family's pathology and from there I was like hmm how can I fix this you know yeah. uh, when I went in undergrad my major was black studies you know with a minor in history mm-hmm. and I began to understand like the stuff that was going on with uh, melanated people and you know I wanted to learn more I wanted to dig more and when I was trying to decide like what I wanted to do for my my master's I said, you know what? I want to do something that will help me. Yeah. Something that would help me to grow, something that would help my family, and something that would help others around me. And that's when I decided I was going to do women's studies. So I went to school in Connecticut. And um, when I signed up for women's studies in the first like part of freshman year, it was more about feminism, 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 feminism. And I was like, where do I fit in? I'm not a feminist, you know? Yeah. <laughs> this is not what I came here to do. I came here to find out ways where I could um, help the women in my family and help uh, women in general, you know? So then I had to get to the drawing board to say, hey, what do I want or what do I need from this program? And that's when I said, ha, huh, I'll get into Caribbean studies and, you know, helping the women in the Caribbean. Even though that's so broad, you know, because I'm obviously I can't help everyone. Like, yeah, you know? sure. but you can try. Yeah, it it, it brings a, um, a an awareness to the issues that that are in my family, in my culture, in my community back home, mm-hmm. the African diaspora at large. So sure, I how you it there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I came to Caribbean uh, studies because I wanted to know myself or to help myself to grow and to help all the women in my family. Yeah, well, you're doing that, so 
That's good. So, two, the second question is from your studies or from what you have learned, what have you found to be of the unconscious and conscious effects of migrations on Caribbean women specifically? Because I'm pretty sure you said that you learned about feminism and all these things because it's 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 a lot in women's studies um i know they're in canada they definitely um focus on indigenous studies like indigenous women a lot in under women's studies so what did you learn specifically about caribbean women um or what have you found to be true of the unconscious or conscious uh effects of migration from the caribbean to the western world did they teach you anything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the thing with um, these institutions, right? You have to remember, like, if you have a professor, a teacher, instructor, even though they're teaching from textbooks or sometimes uh, their approach may be standardized, mm-hmm. their opinion is always in the coursework. Yeah. Right? So what I've learned uh, from undergrad, actually, like you have to go in with a mind, uh, mind frame to say, hey, this is what I want to get. You know, this is what I'm trying to obtain from this program. You know, when I do my thesis, this will be my objective or, you know, this is the audience that I'm trying to reach out to. So it's like you go and you know, hey, I have to do this to get the grade, you know? Oh, yeah. It's, that's it's, cool. it's so annoying because you write a paper or something and they're like well where did you get this from or why yeah. did you take that approach yeah the scientists right <laughs> and then it becomes uh, a little bit challenging because most of my theories and stuff is mostly from like standpoint a standpoint uh, perspective or like an interdisciplinary approach you know so say for example like uh, my thesis is centered around mother-daughter relationship mm-hmm. right Caribbean and there's a gap there's a gap in research so I'll have to pull from sociology from psychology from history from from different um, areas of studies so sometimes it gets a little bit tricky so it's like I cannot say hey I learned this from them or I learned this you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. but they did like from my program and I have to give uh, credit uh, to my professors because I had some um, I was able to, for my research, I was able to take that um, there's work, there's still work that needs to be done. As I said, there's a gap in research, there's still work that needs to be done. And um, in regards to how, like migrating, and I'll, I'll speak on Jamaican women because that's more of my area, area <laughs> of study. But, um, and you know how research is, it could be like, hey, the audience maybe say hey mm, that's not true hey mm, I see where you're coming from so it's not geared towards one specific woman it's not geared towards all Jamaicans you know yeah um what I've taken from it like say for instance let me pull up some research stuff um some research stuff um most women like are majority of the women a majority of people migrating from Jamaica are women mm-hmm. that's what I doubt and uh Actually, I don't have any of my books with me right now, but um, in 1965, like about mm, 75% of women who migrated or that migrated, migrated without children, right? 
Mm-hmm. That's some stuff like um, taking into consideration. We talk about migration and how uh, women are affected, or men, right? Yeah. If you have a household where a woman migrates with their children, you know, the effect is going to be different than when they are solo or if they come by themselves, right? Yeah. Um, as I said, like different women, like they're affected in different ways or, you know, if they come with, uh, if they came up here with children, you know, hey, they have to figure out, I have to go to work, mm-hmm. right? Bye for these children. Okay, they're not back home anymore. We have like the extended family, or mm-hmm. even if you have family here, everyone is about hey, I have my rent, yeah. we have to eat, and so on and so forth. So, a lot of things, you know, different dynamics and uh, different situations for different families. Yeah, am I talking too much? No, you're good. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. The next point. Is that so? You you touched on women with kids, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah, women with children and migrating with their children. How the affects how it can affect them in terms of them feeling really the hustle on their back because they have to provide for these children to eat, to go to school, to you know better themselves. Whereas if they were back home, they would feel less of a pressure because they are surrounded with more people they know and that can support them whilst they try and hustle for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even in terms of migrating without children, the separation from your children, not being able to raise your children is, I would think, definitely a, a, an effect of women who do migrate. I never knew that there are so many women that migrated from um, Jamaica in that time frame and I'm pretty sure it happens in St. Lucia too but damn it's really the women that pick up and say you know I gotta do something to make a better situation for myself and my children um, and that's something to question and something to look at to be honest yeah. that's it's nice that you're actually looking at these things even like to, dig, uh, to dive a little bit deeper as to why like a lot of these women migrated or around that time why they migrated around take a look at the push factors mm-hmm. so, uh, like for Jamaican history with uh, the IMF agreement there's IMF agreement what's that I don't know what that is <laughs> IMF is the International Monetary Fund oh, okay and it was signed in Jamaica and you know a lot of influence on the United States and Henry Kissinger who was a uh, uh, part of the United States government at that time and you know, Ronald Reagan and stuff and Eventually, like, they started these uh, free trade zones in Jamaica. So these countries, most like China, would bring factories into Jamaica and it will be like a certain distance off the water. You know, they'll bust the people over or they won't go or wherever they get over there. And um, they'll work. They'll get little, little to no money because the government cannot defend them, you know. Yeah. And uh, they work in these, like, crazy environment, little to no pay. They were told they are going to get um, benefits and stuff and nothing. So a lot of women say, hey, this is not working, you know, let me find a way where I can get more money to support my family, you know. So that's definitely a push factor, so they'll migrate. So a very good documentary that I would like to uh, recommend to the listeners. It's called Life and Death. Life and Death. Debt, D-E-B-T. Um, it's by, uh, I 
don't know who did it, but I know Jamaica Kincaid. She's from, she's a narrator on the documentary. She's from Antigua. Okay. A lot about like the IMF and the free trade zones and about like the lifestyle in Jamaica, mm-hmm. tourism, and so on and so forth. I remember a part of a documentary, she mentioned like, you know, they were in the bus and someone was given a, uh, the tour guide was to say, hey, uh, there's a school over there and there's this over there and you know, mm-hmm. and it was little does a tourist know like the school over there the child might not have certain things at home or you know you know that school doesn't have doors and stuff she'd get into all of that but like you know it had me reflecting on certain things you know being from there yeah so um that's another part of the reason like you know like and sometimes as uh like as a child you used to see the tourists it's gonna sound so crazy but <laughs> they used to be on these big coaster bus like you know they drive through my area because my my parish is the tourist like yeah, a lot of tourist attractions uh-huh. and it's like all caucasian people and i i just think they live in the sky because i didn't know where, <laughs> i didn't know where they were from right <laughs> so it's like when i got older i was like wait so these people go on the plane and they go somewhere else <laughs> i thought they lived in the sky i don't know why but it's like we laugh about it, but it's so sad because then it, I don't want to get into religion and all that type yeah. of stuff. But it's like the same thing they have this white Jesus, like you know, like hey, are they part of Jesus' family or something? <laughs> you know. So the documentary again is what? Let life and uh-huh. death. Life and death. Yeah, L I F E and D E B T. Okay, got it. Right. Yeah, check it out. Very good documentary. Well, I would check it out, to be honest. Um, so we spoke about how the effects of migration um, affect women, specifically Caribbean women. And it is very surprising um, that it's it seemed like the thing for the women to pick up and go and try to find a better life. Um, wondering, how about the men? So my third question would be, do you believe that the effects of migration from life in the Caribbean to creating a life in a foreign culture or country has effects on men as well? Like, were there statistics saying that men migrated too? Why was it, like, higher yeah, for yeah, women? I, I mean, when I do my research, I mostly look on, on women, but sometimes you'll see, like, a comparison between men and women and, like, mm-hmm. different effects. Um, one of my conclusions is that, like, you know, I don't want to generalize, but from my experience and from people around me, um, men don't talk as women do, you know? And like, even a lot of time, like Caribbean women, they don't complain, right? They don't share their stories. Yeah. Whether it be a birth story, migration story, um, maybe domestic violence or something, they don't share, right? Sure. And the men are even worse well, yeah they're more closed <laughs> off <laughs> you know they're not gonna, they're like, gonna get up and say why i can't pay my rent today what am i gonna do yeah. it's more like hey i can't pay the rent i need to get up and find a way to see how i'm gonna do it yeah. right that's some men yeah. and on the other hand you have some men like oh, i can't pay the rent they just give up and they probably just leave their families or you know go somewhere else like go to another family and you know the typical bouncing around bouncing around type deal but um I, I don't remember ever coming across um, like a whole chapter that spoke about men who migrate or that migrated. 
um, I came across a document, not a documentary, a document. I cannot remember. I should have bought some of this stuff, but it came off my head. But it was telling about like women that migrated, comparing to men that migrated in a different age group. So mm-hmm. with women, you have across the board, you know, whether they are from, say, like from 18 years old onward. But mostly men that migrate is usually younger people. And they usually go into like jobs, like uh, they become janitors, work at restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of men that come, I, like, I didn't even notice that, that migrates usually don't have a job. That's you know, like with the women, they might find like a secretarial job, you know, going to nursing homes and stuff. Yeah. But, but um, of course, you do have men that like work in um, also, but it's usually more challenging for them to get jobs. Yeah, I think, I guess it's, it really depends on the dynamic for men because I have a coworker who I know, she's from Jamaica as well, and both of her parents migrated to Canada. Mm-hmm. And they look for work, like I think they were cleaning in a hospital or something. But is they took it about themselves, so they left Jamaica and found a job, work, save, then brought their children up. You know, a couple times some of their children got were made in Canada and no, oh my gosh, made <laughs> work on save. They, got, <laughs> they stayed here, but it cement. I guess guess what I'm saying is it really depends on the situation for men and really goes back down to how they deal with their emotions because most women they migrated because you know they feel like they can't do anything in Jamaica to help their situation maybe foreign might help them you know maybe making foreign money or doing something in foreign will help them some way some men yeah, the good, the good way. I like the comparison that you made between men that will just, you see, they're in a tough situation. They'll pick up and try and do something about it, not stay there. But there are also another side or another end of the situation where some guys, it kind of is too much for them that instead of trying to find something to do or trying to be productive, well, I wouldn't say productive, or trying, trying to act on what they're feeling to help those around them, they kind of sit down in the emotion and consume themselves and that's how they end up in alcohol and sleeping with different women and stuff like that so it, it really brings it back down to how they deal with their emotions because you know it's a coping mechanism at the end of the day exactly. you know and how you raise like you know and a lot of it goes back to <laughs> do you want me to ask the next question instead or you want to share this because it is I have accepted that a lot of it uh, goes back to that um, family pathology and a lot of trauma that we have endured as a people. And I was kind of iffy of sharing this, but because I know like sometimes it it creates a debate within the uh, the conscious community. I shouldn't say the conscious community, but the black community. That hey, we cannot continue to blame slavery, or hey, that's in the past. We need to move on from that, or hey, um, they weren't alive. They weren't even alive during slavery, you know. But there are certain things that are passed down, like through generations. You ever heard of say that generational curses? Yeah. Right, uh, and then they're not being dealt with. Like I might, like I see my father doing certain things, right, and instead of me saying, 
let me talk to him. Let me, let's sit, have a reasoning so he could have a better understanding. Like, hey, what you doing, you know? It's, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, man, he's already like that. He's old now. He ain't going to change. He's just like that. Okay. That's what he's used to, you know? Yeah. So, like, yeah. As women, as as women, as Caribbean women, we have a lot of work to do. Of course, it's not all that we'll be able to save, but I don't know. I just believe as women, there's so much that we could do. Life comes to us, you know. Every seed that comes here comes through a woman, you know. Yeah. The man plant the seed, the woman, you know, get it <laughs> for nine months. Yeah, right? you know. Yeah. So, as women, there's so much that we could do. But before we get to that point, we have to ourselves you know come to terms with that hey this is going on and we need to take care we need to take care of this innocent so so i'm gonna cut it right here um because this conversation with bria was so wholesome that it went over my deadline <laughs> of 20 to 20 minutes and actually was like an hour conversation but it was most definitely worth the hour and so what I planned to do, what I plan to do, obviously, is to split it up into two episodes. So instead of me having a solo next week, I will be releasing part two of this conversation. But thank you so much, family, for getting to the end of this and getting this uh, tip for the next one. Uh, it was such a beautiful conversation, an enlightening conversation, as it always is with Bria. Um, we usually do lots of reasonings and I really do learn a lot from her every conversation I have with her I always sit back and think and I it's like you never really see it from that point and I'm like wow you know wow and then I feel like we also touched on so much um, during this first part um, in terms of men and I'm definitely gonna be hunting down somebody to come talk to me about the coping mechanisms like you know definitely want to do a, a convo on coping mechanisms and it has to be for a guy a guy that is very mature and open to explaining you know the mental anatomy of guys so once again just thank you very much to speak love pod family for listening i do really appreciate it and i hope you have enjoyed listening to me and bria just really just talk about caribbean women and how migration has you know had an effect on us and yeah look forward to these little steppings for me because i realize i always have something to say um yeah so that's that <laughs> thank you loves well loves we have come to the end of this week's episode on the speak love for listening podcast with me frankie i'd like you to give yourself a big hug and i'd like to thank you for taking time out to listen to this podcast i hope it helped you or resonated with you in some way please drop a comment like subscribe or follow the podcast on social media tell me how you feel you can do so on instagram at the speak love podcast on twitter at speak love pod or on facebook the speak love podcast share it if you loved it and thanks again for joining me on this journey again 
This concludes this week's episode on the Speak Love for Listening podcast. I'm Frankie, and I hope you come back for more. Bazoo!